What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Base Way Going Teresa Podcast. Let's go! Woo! <laughs> today we have a special guest. We have George Coster joining us today. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. I don't know. You're too. You guys are too kind. Clapping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, George. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, if you can, just give us a little background of. Yeah, who you are and what do you, you know, what are you up to to these days? Um, all right. So my name is uh, George Coster and uh, I produce a podcast called Voices of the Community. It's um, it's broadcast on KSFP 102.5 FM in San Francisco. And uh, you can also stream it there. And um, it's both a 30 minute show and an hour show. Uh, and you can also uh, get Voices of the Community and uh, I always love this term. Any place you find podcast, so that could <laughs> be Spotify, could be YouTube, because we were just talking about how important YouTube is for um, hearing impaired uh, audience members, um, or Google, or all the all the usual um, suspects that are out there. Um, I started uh, Voices of the Community uh, in uh, twenty. 13, 14 at City College of San Francisco oh, nice. when uh, they used to have a, a station uh, called KCSF and um, most people don't realize that after World War II, a lot of community colleges both had a radio station and a TV station that were all kind of part of the FCC in the early days. So City College uh, is a community college, not a junior college. Why one would care about that is, and therein lies kind of the conflict that's going on within City College of San Francisco. And that is a community college is really all about lifetime learning. And a junior college is all about teaching someone a specific trade or get a certificate for two-year transfers to a state college or university, et cetera. That's the term junior college, right? So, um, there's that whole schism that's going on. Um, and, and so I launched this show as part of a public affairs class um, that I uh, put together uh, with uh, Dr. Hale. And um, Dr. Hale is really a great character. And um, he's a, 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 a gentleman who I thought was really great with regards to just talking about the history of radio. He'd been there for years. He started... Um, record uh, companies and labels. He lives in Atlanta and um, there's a, um, uh, a show when he left that I pulled together. Um, all of the old uh, students came back, some of which have actually gone on to be TV reporters, et cetera. And we did a, I think it was about an hour and a half show called Hail to Hail. And um, it was just, a, it was really a, a fun show because so many of the students came back to talk about you know, how Dr. Hale had helped them get into broadcasting and multimedia, et cetera. So mm -hmm. um, City College had, uh, has a really great journalism department and, uh, and also part of their uh, BEMA, which is uh, Broadcast Electronic Media Arts, is an actual department there. And so they had a certificate program in multimedia journalism that um, I was working on when I, uh, I came back. This was during the financial downfall of eight of 2008, 9, 10. So I decided to go back and, and work. I'd always loved radio. My history with radio literally goes back. I'm going to age myself in the way back machine here. But um, when I was uh, 16 and 19, like 70, I actually got a, 
uh, FCC third class licenses, which is what you needed in those days to actually be on the radio. And uh, I would do uh, radio on uh, KUOP, which is University of Pacific in Stockton. And um, in K, it was a KS. It was KSJDC or SJ. Can't remember the call letters. Was the college at, uh, at Delta College, which is the community college in Stockton, um, which I come back to in my uh, 12, 14 part documentary on the city of Stockton. Um, uh, and uh, and my broadcast partner was uh, the the um, you know folks at uh, KSDC and in, in in you know Stockton at the at Seven King College. Uh, they still have a radio station. It's a low-powered FM station, and they're really wonderful at being our broadcast uh, partner. And those were half-hour shows. Uh, so that was a whole documentary series we did on Stockton. Going back in September of 2016, my mom grew up at Stockton, um, so I was going back and forth because she was in the process of passing away. So uh, I was... You know, uh, at that point, um, Voices of the Community, the station, you know, segue back to City College of, of San Francisco. Uh, when I was doing the whole series, one of the things I decided to do, uh, for anyone who knows the history of City College, they had gone through this whole decreditation um, process where uh, the school was being decredited. So that meant that conceivably classes you would take, you wouldn't get credit for, you couldn't transfer mm -hmm. them. Um, the whole thing was pretty much a, uh, it was, it was, it was fascinating to watch all the politics of it. So for anyone who's listening, um, you can go to my site, georgecoster.com and, um, and then click on voices of the community. There's an archives section or, um, you know, uh, go to Simplecast. All of the episodes are there as well. Uh, but I did a five part, five hour uh, segment. Those were when I was doing one hour shows at KCSF. And it was basically a five-hour documentary on or a five-part documentary on City College and the whole accreditation issue. And it was just fascinating to talk to uh, all these longtime, you know, teachers who had been there, students, as we were talking earlier about the Oral Lee um, Foundation, mm -hmm. my latest episode, uh, just how important education was and how, you know, Dr. Hale's impact, but all of these other teachers impact on students, um, you know, who had gone through, um, so it includes a couple of uh, interviews, one with my associate producer, Eric Estrada, yell out for Eric Estrada, works all the hey. audio magic in the background. Um, his, um, his show, uh, he was a DJ, and it was always DJ Chips, so, um, you know, because of Eric Estrada. <laughs> <laughs> So nice. uh, Ch Chips is wonderful. He was our station manager, helped me really launch the show. Um, and, you know, so I, I did this whole series on City College, which was really fascinating to just go through and interview all these folks who work there. But then, you know, what I also discovered was all the politics around education, right? So, you know, um, the, the accreditation agency itself was being decredited. They would never, I tried for months, really for an entire like uh, fall and, and spring semester as they put the whole series together. I reached out to them literally once a week. It just became kind of a standing joke where I would just reach out, I'd call, 
the, you know, the organization, I called the, you know, um, person who was their media person. No one, no one wanted to be on air. No one wanted to be on camera to talk about, you know, them. Then there was an entire investigation on them um, as well as to, you know, what, who, who they were and um, all their inherent conflicts of interest and uh, accreditation processes, et cetera. So, but, you know, throughout the whole thing, the saddest thing that um, I came to understand was just the process itself really, I mean, on the one hand, it was really good because it forced people to think about the importance of, um, of City College of San Francisco. In fact, we did a whole, um, you know, Misha, who still uh, teaches there is one of the professors that uh, teaches all the video, field video, and runs every spring the TV station that does an actual magazine show at City College. He um, worked with Tom, who was heading up um, Etc. Magazine. So we did a, a great multimedia piece. Um, and that was like spring, I want to say 14, 13, 14. And the whole theme of the magazine and all of our, our shows were what if City College closed? So a group of us from the video department, the radio, uh, the magazine all worked together to do these multimedia stories where it was a, it was a magazine, um, it was an electronic magazine, and then all of the stories were also, um, you know, slideshows, videos, um, audio uh, pieces as well. And so we went out and interviewed some of the folks like, you know, um, Sam, who, you know, uh, is a, you know, an owner of um, restaurants, um, excuse me, uh, um, a grocery store on, what is it, 18th Street in San Francisco. So he had gone through the culinary um, school and the culinary school helped him, you know, with his, um, uh, with his whole uh, family that owned a grocery store completely reinvent the grocery store. Uh, we, you know, most people didn't realize that City College was the biggest, you know, free ESL program in the state of California. And so we had interviewed a woman who had learned English. Um, her husband was injured and she became the breadwinner through learning English. She became a salesperson and became the top salesperson in this organization and how that helped her keep, you know, sustain, sustain her family and take care of her family. So, you know, it was, it, it was like the importance again of education, but we, it, it was a great experiment on trying to do more multimedia storytelling, um, you know, the, uh, the whole idea of multi-platforms. So that's really where Voices of the Community, I did a, a two-parter on homelessness. And if you look at my ongoing series now, I've done many shows on, on our unhoused community members, really important um, part of you know, my storytelling. Um, so then I, I segued over to the, you know, uh, I was in Stockton, my mom was passing away, asked a couple of old friends who still live there, what's going on in Stockton? They were talking about uh, Mayor Michael Tubbs, and Mayor Michael Tubbs hadn't become mayor yet. He was a city council member, youngest ever, 22. Um, he was a city council member in my mom's, uh, you know, old uh, uh, neighborhood in Stockton. Um, Stockton, for anyone, you know, who's, again, listening or spent any time, Stockton's um, a really highly diverse, um, you know, community, uh, but it's always been kind of a sad exemplification of what I could consider to be economic apartheid where South Stockton, you know, is really kind of a containment zone of, you know, uh, people of color, poor, low income, um, you know, community members is where, you know, Filipino uh, immigrant Italians, which was from my, my mom's mom came through Ellis Island, um, you know, to marry her 
uh, uh, arranged, uh, you know, uh, uh, husband, et cetera. And they lived in South Stockton and South Stockton was always, you know, to be successful in Stockton, you would move, you know, like to North Stockton mm -hmm. and it's, and it's kind of still become that way. And so Michael Tubbs, who grew up in South Stockton was that city council member, ran for mayor, became mayor, first African-American mayor in the history of the, of the city. And so he became um, really the uh, hub of um, the spokes of all these stories. So I really wanted to reach out and tell the story of all of the other community members in Stockton who were there working already, Tubbs helped amplify it, or Tubbs himself actually helped create things like reInvent South Stockton, Stockton Scholars, um, if you, you know, follow Tubbs's career, he's, um, he also created the first um, universal basic income, you know, program, mm -hmm. a pilot, um, and that was with uh, Chris, who is, um, you know, Z Zuckerberg's uh, old roommate, co-founder of um, Facebook, created a nonprofit and helped with some of the funds, um, along with Tubbs going out and raising more money. And, you know, it showed that if you give a person $500 a month, they're not going to sit around and watch TV all day and, you know, do drugs, et cetera, but they're going to fix their car. They're going to put gas in their car, you know, and people, you know, basically, you know, got better jobs, worked more, were able to, you know, make sure that their utilities were paid, the rent was paid, um, you know, and it helped stabilize people's lives and actually helped people, um, you know, if you will, do some of the things that they wanted to do, like maybe go back to a community college and, and get a class in accounting. Um, so, you know, he uh, was kind of the central uh, character of it. We uh, interviewed his mom, his grandmother and his aunt who really raised him because his father uh, was incarcerated. Uh, but then we also talked to, you know, people like uh, Nicholas, who started the first uh, LGBT center in Stockton. And um, and he was his, you know, uh, campaign uh, manager. Um, you know, there's just so many really wonderful stories that are there. And then uh, decided to bring everybody back together in, what was it, 19? Yeah, so it was May of 2019. We hosted a community, uh, a town hall, and then that became a 90-minute, it's edited down to a 90-minute uh, show that you can also get on the site. But that included, uh, what I what is really wonderful about the community leaders is they're also essentially working and training community leaders in Stockton. So the first was a panel discussion with uh, you know, up and coming youth leaders, you know, we're talking about high school students, you know, mm -hmm. et cetera, who were engaged in the nonprofits that are featured in the documentary who, who in the nonprofits have a leadership program to, you know, empower and educate and enable, you know, uh, folks in the community themselves to basically, you know, stand up and take uh, control, if you will, of their own destiny. Right. And not wait for it to happen, you know, by the magic of, you know, some, you know, foundation or government, et cetera. And then uh, the second panel was I brought everybody back together from the first documentary series, like 14 people, th 13 people. Um, and they were on a panel and went back and talked to them about, you know, kind of where they saw it going from 16, 17. So what's happened over the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, what was their, you know, now that they had a, a mayor and a city government that was also helping foster that, how was that impacting their work and community? Um, and then we did a, so that was uh, the town hall. And then uh, I brought everyone back together in 20, 
uh, just a, as a virtual conversation to see how this was post uh, was January of 2021. Michael Tubbs had lost the um, election, and you know how was that impacting everyone's work? And then, um, and then there's a, another uh, episode uh, of uh, Antoine, who's uh, the cousin of Nicholas uh, Haddon, um, who is the founder of the LGBT Center, so McKean LGBT Center, talking about, um, you know, essentially how he was killed by, by Stockton police, um, which is one of, the, one of the most listened to episodes um, out there. There's a couple that uh, have been floating around. Ironically, a, uh, the show that still pops up in the top three on the statistics of people listening is a, uh, a show I did on the election here in, in San Francisco in, I think it was like 16. So it's really fascinating because it's just, you know, it's a whole get out there and vote, but it still populates up there. So I think people are searching and seeing, oh, election show, I'll go check it out. But it's like, you know, five years old. <laughs> Plus, um, so, uh, you know, what I've been doing is in um, March of 2020, when we all kind of decided to go into hibernation because of the pandemic, um, friends of mine at uh, Barrier Video Coalition, which is another really wonderful organization, most people don't realize they actually uh, are the public access uh uh, organization that manages the two digital television stations here in San Francisco. They get carried on on Comcast. They have a really wonderful program called uh, San Francisco Commons. So, for example, both of you could um, could show up and um, utilize the the tools. So, you know, there's a whole uh, you know audio, video, base production, mm -hmm. et cetera. There's a production studio. But your, your programming, if you produce one um, show a month, at least it used to be this before in, in the way back times, um, before the pandemic, uh, you know, you could actually access a lot of their services for free if you were providing programming that got broadcast on um, these two channels. So it was a lot of grassroots, uh, you know, producers and production out there, but they, they do a lot of skills training as well. Um, they had reached out to me because of all the work I've been doing with nonprofits over the years and said, hey, we want to do a program, um, you know, spotlight San Francisco and spotlight nonprofits in San Francisco and how the pandemic is impacting them. So uh, worked with them, um, with Lubna, who at the time was uh, that, that SF Commons community uh, outreach director person, and, um, and, uh, and Mindy, who I'd known from uh, working with an outreach when I uh, helped my friend Susan uh, Murnett and the team over at Hack the Hood in the way back times. Uh, we you know, came together and kind of created the first 10 programs based on this whole model. So I converted the 30 minute you know, uh, TV shows into radio shows. And then that kind of kicked off this whole series I've been doing on um, you know, COVID-19's impact on uh, nonprofits, uh, small businesses and local government. So we just published episode 88 of that. Um, nice. yeah. yeah, massive amounts of work as you both know so quite, quite well. Most people <laughs> don't realize each episode requires a good 20 plus hours or more of work. Uh, again, uh, shout out to Eric Strata who helps do all of the final mix downs of everything. My, my um, longtime friend, Casey Nance, who uh, helps uh, create, uh, create the website and helps do all of the fine tuning and work her web magic 
And then uh, for anyone who you know subscribes, we push out a uh, an e newsletter that both of, that you guys have also seen as well mm -hmm. to try to uh, you know create uh, awareness. And so what we've been doing is um, you know a whole series um, on you know everything from uh, unhoused uh, food banks. We're working um, with Redwood Empire Food Bank on uh, an hour show coming up. Um, we, uh, Community Forward SF is our, our next episode coming up in March, and that one is, um, uh, you know, the whole team at Community Forward SF, uh, Kara and Sammy uh, and, and team are hosting their annual, um, you know, into homelessness uh, drag queen show. So, we're, you know, talking about, um, you know, because most people don't realize that so many of our trans community members, LGBTQ members are unhoused. Because you know they come out to their family, their their family kicks them out. They you know couch surf for a while, then you know they end up on the street. Uh, so much of um, you know uh, basically sex trafficking and uh, prostitution, especially like you know in the Tenderloin, for example, and other places across the United States, it's LGBT you know Q youth that are trafficked and uh, abused. If you're a trans person, then it's even, you know, the statistics, as you both know, pretty sad, more of them being killed uh, these days than ever before. So the goal of that show was really to, to highlight um, what Community Forward does a little bit, but really focus in on the importance of, um, of bringing a spotlight to, you know, humor, trends, um, you know, the whole drag uh, queen community, et cetera, to help, um, you know, bring awareness, but also raise money Community Forward SF is an, a, a unique nonprofit that has um, housing along with wraparound services. Um, I, you know, I, uh, if you've listened to any of the episodes and both of you have at this point, I end each episode with the same question, which are what are some of the good things that you could see coming out of the pandemic? Because I feel like that's, you know, what the pandemic has done, at least for me, and especially telling all of these stories, is it's really, you know, put an x-ray on how broken our system is, right? The, the magical thinking that somehow, you know, everything's going to be okay, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, even if you don't have a pair of boots, um, and, you know, just the the, the fantasy that, uh, you know, you could make your own way when, in fact, everybody's gotten a hand up throughout their life. Someone has given them a hand up some way, shape or form. So, you know, um, what the pandemic has shown is, you know, housing is healthcare, you know, providing someone housing stabilizes their life. So then you can help them get into, you know, drug rehab. You can help them with mental health services. It's also really pu pushed, you know, the fact that we've completely underfunded, you know, housing, wraparound services, mental health services for, for decades. Um, you know, so it's been a really, um, wonderful opportunity to just help amplify people's stories. And that's, that's really my goal is to just use the small little platform I have of the podcast and the radio show to help tell people's uh, stories in organizations, people who found the organizations, organizations themselves. And as I was saying to you before we came on, just also trying to feature, um, you know, people, you know, who are participated. So, you know, I'll segue back to uh, kind of an interesting mashup between Mayor Tubbs's idea of a universal basic income 
and uh, Kevin and Miracle Messages. Kevin's the founder of Miracle Messages, and Kevin got the idea. It's there's two episodes of Miracle Messages. Listen to both. The first one is a whole background on Kevin and why he created it. His uncle was unhoused during his lifetime. And then he came up with this idea of creating, and it's really, um, it's become a model from, um, you know, the kind of combination of universal basic income. But what's also one of the good things happening out of the pandemic is people have decided to start giving people cash directly, right? You know, do you trust your neighbors, right? Or is everyone just a crook, right? Or is everyone just out to, to, to you know, work you over, um, mm -hmm. take advantage of you, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so you know, there's a whole movement of uh, to basically fund, give people cash directly. There's a nonprofit in British Columbia that's been piloting this model for a while of providing, you know, funds to unhoused community members. So Kevin, you know, got this idea on a Giving Tuesday you know, which is the annual, uh, you know, nonprofits uh, Christmas Day, if you will, their version of Black Friday, which is, hey, you could actually give money to a nonprofit and help somebody. So he came up with the idea of uh, trying to raise cash and you know, put together a fund and then through their volunteers, because Miracle Masters has this really robust um, volunteer uh, network where they um, they the net the volunteers work hand in hand with telling. Um, so just to back up for a second, Miracle Messages is based on uh, essentially trying to um, have an unhoused person, you know, develop a message, and then uh, and then the volunteers find out where George's uncle or aunt or sister or brother mm -hmm. live find them, reach out to them and say, hey, George has been unhoused in San Francisco for a chronic person on the street is three years. You know, so, um, you know, a sidebar to that is, um, you know, for every year of someone living in the open, they lose about 20 to 25% of their cognitive ability. Mm -hmm. So if the city of San Francisco says you're chronically unhoused, you're a chronically homeless person for three years, that person's lost 60, 75% of their cognitive ability to have a conversation with you, to engage with you, right? So uh, the volunteers reach out, they match up people and, and Miracle Messages is brought together, you know, several hundred families um, and again, change people's lives. But Kevin got the idea of actually putting a fund together and that fund would be used as a universal basic income for someone who's unhoused. So we do a whole episode with, um, Kevin, Jen, who's a volunteer, and Ray, who was an unhoused person, um, who was a recipient of the program of, you know, this, this universal basic income. And again, how that helped change Ray's life. And I, I won't, you know, ruin the story because it's a really wonderful story. Um, but, you know, it's so the whole goal of the of Voices of the Community is, you know, I'm just a platform. Look, I'm a cisgender white man, right? No one needs to hear more from a, a white old crotchety man. We've already heard enough of get off my lawn. So, <laughs> so you know, if, if I'm an entry point for other cisgen white folk or, or white folk who, you know, um, I know, et cetera, my network or say, well, this would be an interesting show and I can tell the stories of the rays of the world and, um, and the Michael Tubbs of the world, I can share those, you know, to people. If I could be that entry point, you know, get one person to say, oh, wow, I didn't know about Community Forward, I need to donate them. Or I didn't know that Miracle Messages had a fund that I could help, you know, give people money to get them off the street.
So, um, so that's really been the goal of the whole series. Um, it also includes um, stories with local governments because I really wanted to talk about how local governments have been dealing with, um, you know, the the pandemic. It also uh, I've done a, a number of series and a, a panel discussion on small businesses because. Again, most people don't realize how, you know, I mean, the highest, especially restaurants, and there's uh, several restaurants that are in the series, um, uh, really great, you know, local restaurants here in San Francisco, that, you know, the number was as high as 50% of them were going to go out of business because of COVID. Uh, so many non uh, of the pro nonprofits are just hanging in there trying to stay alive. Um, you know, a wonderful big thing that's come out of the pandemic is the PPP loans for nonprofits. Yeah. Never before in the history of, you know, Small Business Administration, the government, could a nonprofit go apply to the Small Business Administration for a PPP loan. So it's just really helped a lot of, um, you know, uh, nonprofits and small businesses. Um, I did a whole series on continue to do on uh, performing arts organizations because most people don't realize that when we shut down in March 2020, 90% of performing arts organizations really went into Stacia, right? They just went into hibernation. Everyone who is working, and I work at four different theaters as a front of house, mm -hmm. you know, house manager. Usher, et cetera, you know, everyone was laid off. People are trying to get unemployment, trying to survive, et cetera, but no live performances. So, you know, how have we come back with that? Um, the ongoing struggle of performing arts organizations, you know, coming back, um, you know, to, to do live performances. And, um, and then, you know, I did a whole hour show on libraries. Um, my friends, uh, you know, Don and uh, Lucy, who uh, are doing a documentary, they're at Serendipity Films, also a great episode on the importance of public library. They've been working on this documentary called Free For All, The Importance of Public Libraries for a really long time. And they've been really struggling uh, during the pandemic to try to get clearance for their materials, but hopefully this year they'll be able to do it and, and put it out there. But it's just, it, it's a really amazing documentary just about, you know, libraries are, are you know, it, it is really the town square. It's what's left of the town, town square and commons. And it gets back to what we were talking about earlier about access to technology, access to education, access to information. So uh, I did a whole hour uh, conversation, um, you know, with uh, with librarians and my friend Susan Clark, who's um, working with libraries across the state to try to help them, you know, sustain in, in libraries, right, where, you know, if you're a resident of San Francisco and you go to the San Francisco Main Library, there's, you know, there's a lot of unhoused people, you know, community members that use the library and the library struggled for years to try to deal with, you know, with that as well. But, you know, it's a place where someone can come and, you know, how do you access, uh, you know, how do you be an, an, an electronic citizen? How do you be an e-citizen in our community if you don't have a computer, if you don't have broadband or access to it, um, you know, et cetera. So it's, it, you know, libraries to me are like, you know, the there are the new uh, community center. I mean, it's, you know, it's where, it's where we still come together and can have constructive conversations. So, you know, it's, uh, it's been a, a really great opportunity to tell all the stories. There's so many in there. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, working on several other, one of the things I've been trying to do uh, when we came back is do hour long uh, or more shows that are live streamed on uh, Zoom and then broadcast through, uh, you know, Facebook and YouTube to try to get and then invite audience members to participate in the Zoom rooms to ask questions. 
And so we did a, a panel discussion on performing arts uh, companies coming back, and that was September. Then we did in October uh, a whole small business kind of panel where I had uh, uh, worked in partnership with American, uh, my friend Luke over at American Marketing uh, Association chapter of San Francisco. We brought two digital marketing experts together and then three uh, small business um, uh, guests who've been uh, on past shows to talk about how to use digital marketing um, to help small businesses. And that was going into the whole holiday season. And of course, that was prior to the Omicron, you know, meltdown again, right? Where everyone was coming back, but oh no, now now you can't because now it's you, you know, now everyone's like it's double masked up, <laughs> yeah, right? So you know, uh, I hope that's been, been helpful. Uh, I would love to ask the same question of both of you. How you know, I'm intrigued as to why you started, um, you know, your podcast and um, and you know, I've. You know, looked at some of the uh, the shows. Um, you know, tell me more about the show and why you put the show together and what you what you would like the show to to help um, do in our community. Sure, do you want to take this one? Go ahead. Okay, okay so um, I came to my friend here, my friend Fuego right here. Um, I told him, hey, we like I was seeing all these podcasts come up, and I noticed that a lot of them were either focused on very intellectual people or people that have done a lot of things and you know which is which, which I, I think I admire a lot I admire that there's organizations and stuff like that that they're um out there helping out people but I think to me what I've always been a passionate uh, passionate person about storytelling and to me I think uh one of the biggest things um sometimes it's easy to forget that you know a regular person or a person that's just your next door neighbor they're just more than your next door neighbor and they have other things going on. And so one of the things that I wanted to highlight, and I think uh, Fuego does very well too, is, is highlight those people that are in your, in, you know, your, your neighbors, your friends. Um, we, when we first started, we started off with the friends and a lot of them, you know, we haven't talked in years mm -hmm. and a lot of them went to the mill. Some of them went to the military. Some of them got married, um, had kids. And so we were just trying to highlight those stories of our generation um, partly as well and, and just tend to see how the stories change maybe there's some lessons in there people can take um, because each story has its ups and downs its twists and turns right everybody has a little everybody has a struggle so it's interesting to see how you struggle and how you make through it and I think Fuego has a very good job of doing that he's really good at uh, storytelling He's he's a best friend. I've been, I've been knowing him. Uh, <laughs> I've been knowing him since since fourth grade. So I've been knowing him for uh, quite a long time. Uh, he comes with charisma. He he knows how to ask questions. And yeah, and so he's like, hey, let's just let's just do this project. And that's kind of how. That's my side. At least yeah. go ahead and you can say your side. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, we also noticed too that like in in society, there's like two there's two sides, right? There's people making destructive content in the sense that people are giving out misinformation or they're constantly trying to have, and in more cases than not, it's more like male against female, right? Those type of conversations, even in even political spheres. So we felt like, why don't we trend on the side that's giving out more positive outlooks, more positive stories that when people come by and listen to our podcast, they leave in a good mood, they leave better than how they were the day before or hours before right or before they listen to the podcast we try our best to give out good positive content you know in hopes that they you know might, might motivate them might get them inspired might get them 
to do something or just come and have a good time because maybe it can be, you know, I, I don't want to say escape, but at least it's an outlet for them to at least mm-hmm. hear something positive because since there's so much negativity, it'd be nice to combat that with something positive. So I think we, we kind of lean on that side as well as it pertains to the podcast for sure. And so it's been, it's been mainly your, uh, your circle, your ecosystem of friends, longtime friends to check in with them. Um, where, are, where are you guys going in the future with it? I mean, are there themes? Because uh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, sadly, uh, misinformation where we, we appear now to be in an alt-truth, uh, alt-reality. Um, so there seems to be a tug of war between what is truth and fact I mean, who would have ever thought we were, you know, basically going to have uh, culture wars over wearing a mask, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, but 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 it's wonderful that um, that you you know you wanted to you know you you want and you're working to to actually you know tell stories, tell stories of your friends. But where else um, where else would you like to take it? What are other topics or subjects that you that you want to highlight? Yeah, so we're also. Um... We're doing people that have their own podcasts here in the Bay Area. So we're just focusing on people in the Bay Area, just like yourself, who are highlighting other stories or who are doing other stuff in the community um, that are just, that are rising the community up a little bit. Because um, for us, at least, we think that um, the people that are the ones that are working in the community do more than all the politicians, all the business owners. I mean, like all the big profit business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's – I would say there's probably – the fact a, a normal person or a regular Joe has probably more impact in a thousand people than one big corporation because everybody has their own self-interest, you know, in a corporation, but a community that comes together and, and strives to be better, I think um, will be stronger together. Yeah. And so are there, uh, are there uh, certain topics, you know, and you, there's mm-hmm. obviously a plethora of topics out there, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, you know, you'd, you'd mentioned the relationship between, you know, men, toxic masculinity, if you will, and, you know, women or, um, you know, education or, you know, uh, you know, even entertainment for that matter. So are there topics that you that really um, resonate with you that you want to do more, more of a deep dive in and telling those stories? Let's see, uh, I would say I would say yes, in the sense that we're kind of like we we're not stuck on one specific like I don't want to say topic or maybe like topic once one specific like like how you mentioned maybe not do a lot of episodes on like toxic toxic masculinity but just be open to those discussions where everybody because every I feel like everyone has a story to tell and we just want to be the ones to like you mentioned give it an outlet where they're able to talk about what they experience what they live um yeah because I feel like everybody has like there I mean there's kind of generalities in a sense of like people that are going through in life like well we can like compare and we can say that like you know we can relate in a sense but everybody is unique in their own way so I feel like whoever we speak to has their own story so we're just open to hear what everybody's story is and whatever the subjects might be right I don't know we might talk about UFOs (laughs) one day like right we never know but uh right but but yeah just to be open let somebody just come on and let them talk about their experiences their lives and whatever the topic is yeah because I feel like it's kind of cool that we're able to do that for other people because some people don't have somebody they can talk like they can talk to or they don't have right. somebody they can express themselves with. So we want to be at least open to that, that everybody's, you know, everybody can come in. There's no like 
there isn't like a certain type of person that come in everybody's welcome to the podcast so uh, but, but for us we just try to as long as it's they're doing good things in the community as long as they're mm-hmm. you know trying their best to be better then they're more welcome than somebody who comes in and is like talking about gangs or something right like i'm in a gang <laughs> like like definitely I, we wouldn't want that but at least somebody at least people who are trying to better striving themselves. yeah striving for better yeah right well, so what are some of the past shows? What have been some of the topics of the past shows with your friends? Uh, so before, uh, like, for example, we didn't have, in the beginning it was with friends and now we're starting to get more into like other podcasts. So the past show that we had was with Jim, right? And oh, yeah. he, we talked about actors in the Bay Area, what it takes to be an actor, his his life, his career. Um, and it was a very interesting show. Prior to that, we had uh, my friend Jordan, haven't talked to in a while. And his story was I met him at East Bay. And then after that, after college, we kind of went our separate ways. And he was, you know, he was in the community. He started uh, doing uh, venture capitalism and he started to do that kind of stuff. Um, and we asked him, like, how do you get into it? What are some pathways? And tell people who do want to get into it. Um, and yeah, so it's been like, and then what, Ludwig? Yeah. We did Ludwig. We had Ludwig. We had, uh... We had uh, my friend Edgar from high school. He, oh yeah. He ended up he ended up making a Facebook group for uh, immigrants who are like trying to get their like uh, DACA. Yeah. Right. To the, to get people enrolled in this college, so he was a resource for people who didn't have a voice. So we highlighted that, and we were talking about that. Just his his involvement in the community and his helping. Um, yeah, so we had him, we had Ludwig, he was, you know, he was in the military, I think he was in the army, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And we talked about, like, uh, veterans who later in life deal with, like, mental disorder or post-traumatic stress, right? So we found, we were talking about, he had ideas of, like, tools or resources that they can have, because I guess there's not as much as we would like. So he was highlighting that, that, you know, it'd be nice to help, be out there and helping out veterans. And it gave a, a new perspective in our lives because, you know, like for myself, I, I don't really think about that. But for him to bring it up, it made me more aware, like, hey, like, yeah, like everybody needs help. It's not just like your life. Like you, yeah. in a sense, we still got to be out helping people even. Yeah, because that's the right thing to do. Like, and that, one, it's the right thing. And number two, it's like, it's just, I think it's in us. Like as humans, we have this love for other humans even like regardless of the drama regardless of like the pains that we go through we always have like we we just I don't know it it always feels like right when you help somebody out even if it's a small thing having a door open leaving the door or like holding the door open for somebody uh holding the door open on the bus or anything like that like it feels good after you do it not not even from an ego standpoint but just more that out of love I would say you just feel that love so yeah most of our friends have like yeah, they have very interesting topics they talk about in their experiences. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, but it has been like, there hasn't been just one topic. It has been just different experiences, different topics for sure. We also talked about, we talked to Efren too, who uh, is one of our friends from high school. And we yeah. talked about a wedding and how, how he was able to get married during a pandemic, which was interesting and trying to do all that together and plan everything out. And what a, it was, what, a, what an interesting story, huh? Yeah, I think he, he also mentioned too, like, as men, we we don't want to get checked up, right? Like, yeah. like we we try to say we're okay, even though we're dealing with a lot of issues, because <laughs> yeah. um, you know we want to be like this super macho guy, but knowing that we're dealing with <laughs> maybe you know <laughs> maybe like a full muscle or something. Um, so that was very interesting because I, I could relate with that, right? Like, 
I, as long as I don't have to go to the doctor, I'm okay. <laughs> like, like I thought, oh boy, I don't have any aches or pains. Yeah, but, go. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but deep down, knowing that, hey, I should at least go check, get checked up, just to go get checked up, make sure you're fine. So that was very interesting as well. Yeah. And um, are there are there folks um, that you know, kind of on your wish list, or you know, that you'd like to talk to? Uh, and you know, it doesn't obviously to your earlier point. You know, you're talking to your friends, but, you know, just um, I liked your comment about your, you know, your neighbor is doing stuff that you don't even know what your neighbor is doing. Right. Who, who you know, most people don't spend a lot of quality time with their neighbors, sadly. Um, you know, we we live a, a world of isolation these days and technology, of course, makes that even worse. But um, are there folks on your you know wish list of, that you would like to talk to in the community? I think we're still we're still working we're still figuring that out too. Um, we have a few people that we're set, uh, we're we have set up like a person is going to be talking about mental health. Uh, we have a someone who's going to be working as a comedian and trying to figure out how they're doing on that side mm-hmm. um, in the arts and that kind of stuff. And then who else? We have another person right in the middle. I want to say no. I want to say that's that's where we're at right now. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we have yeah. So yeah, different different topics. I guess it, I guess to answer your question, anybody specifically, I mean, it'd be nice to like uh, interview like the mayor of San Francisco or the mayor. We live in Concord, so the mayor of Concord, uh, maybe somebody famous. <laughs> I, think, I think one of the biggest things, like you, you mentioned it before, and and there's levels to 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 housing struggles, right? You talked about homelessness and stuff like that. I think one of the things I would like to, I think it would be interesting to mm-hmm. to talk about is is will the Bay area be the Bay area in the future? Um, mm-hmm. Just because one of the things that I've noticed growing up here is how gentrification is creeping up into the um, deep East Bay or what I like to call deep East, which is like Concord, Pleasant Hill, Walnut Creek, Antioch. Um, and so if, look, if, if, if regular people can no longer live in the Bay area, will the Bay area that's so diverse, multicultural continue to be? the bay area or will it be a monoculture and and just be this one kind of like twilight zone everybody has the same house car same job you know sounds like yeah. an episode out of uh, dark you know a uh, black mirror yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah uh, i live in it. <laughs> I, I think yeah. it's a really great observation i mean i've you know been living in san francisco on and off for decades and mm-hmm. you know we've be- we've become sadly the epicenter of um of you know really economic disparity right of mm-hmm. all of this massive amount of wealth especially tech wealth and then you know the latest number that everyone's been throwing around is around eighteen thousand unhoused you know people so you know back to that whole point uh, a question about what are some of the good things i mean before the pandemic the city and county and state government would have you know someone was throwing out the idea of like let's buy hotels or motels and make them into housing well it became you know a viable mm-hmm. solution so they were able to get thousands of people you know um you know into into some form of stable housing so but you know the gentrification issue uh there's just so much economic you know pressure within mm-hmm. you know the nine counties um you know san francisco surpassed New York at one point as the most expensive place, you know, to, to live. So, um, you know, and then 
what what do you have right i i love your point you know to, will the bay area be you know the bay area and and i think a lot of people who look at san francisco as the kind of proverbial bellwether you know it's why it was such an interesting and wonderful place is because it was such a wonderful you know mixing pot why it became you know the epicenter of the lgbtq uh, community and then of course you know aids etc you know and that was a a pandemic decades ago right mm -hmm. that it was only affecting those people so you know it wasn't it, it was contained but you know what wasn't that important compared to everybody else who's gotten the pandemic over the last two plus years so it's it, it there's that there's this whole dynamic of um you know housing and the the politics around housing um you know scott weiner who's the uh senator and represents san francisco finally got through uh this piece of legislation which allows um uh, you know single um you know family uh, uh zoning so people can actually build uh more density in single family neighborhoods and of course everyone's freaked out right so you know you have a city like woodside that tried to make itself a mountain lion you know sanctuary and that's why they couldn't build more houses oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> rich white folks saying hey can't come to my neighborhood yeah not my backyard <laughs> mountain lions you can't come yeah <laughs> That's funny. You know, and I, I, I think that such a that is such a, a great topic on so many because you know the economic disparity it, it takes so many forms. You know, housing, yeah. healthcare, mental health services, mm -hmm. um, education, transportation, you know, et cetera. So, um, I think you know Concord is uh, is one of those you know cities that's on the brink. To your point of, yeah. you know, it becomes the next Walnut Creek. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that's my fear that how far will it, how far will those ripples go, right? If Concord is next, does that mean in 10 years, Antioch, Pittsburgh, and then are people going to have to move all the way to Stockton or Modesto and travel all the way to San Francisco to, to live? And then how long will that last before it continues, you know, until, until the whole, until pretty much the whole mid, middle of the Bay or, or middle of California becomes unlivable. And it started, I've noticed that's becoming a trend also in uh, family in Southern California. And it's happening, like LA used to be like always expensive, but now it's happening around LA too. So like Long Beach, Compton, all, the, all those other areas that used to be, you know, fairly, you know, low, middle to lower class are starting to get affected by also gentrification. So it's interesting, interesting to see both what's happening in Northern California and then Southern California as well. Yeah. I mean, and they're they're considering, um, you know, there there are several uh, Bay Area organizations, but one of the Bay Area organizations um, that is working on this, what they're calling a, a mega region, which would literally be Sacramento, Stockton, you know, probably Modesto, Manteca, Tracy, and then the nine counties, um, and how do they all work together uh, to address things like transportation and housing. Mm -hmm. You know, to really acknowledge it is a you know it is a you know a regional issue, and you know to start to really work on the regional problems instead of, you know, just keep pushing the 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 issue further east. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah, just push, just like it's like it's like um pushing like the poor people further out. Like, no, we don't want the poor people here. We want them over there. 
we still need baristas and stuff like that, but we'll just make them travel two to three hours longer. You know, we yeah. read like uh, a few podcasts back when we were just talking, it was just me and Fuego and that you need almost like two and a half to three jobs or something like that in order to live somewhere close in the city. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was like, damn, like how, you know, that's not even possible. I don't even think right. <laughs> you got to work like 17 hours a day to have a decent living, you know? Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And it gets back to universal basic income idea again. Right. I mean, yeah, I think we should try at least. Cause I, I remember hearing a story about someone in Stockton. Um, Cause you mentioned it before that there was a, a gentleman, he was, he was stuck in a rut and he was able to get applied for the UBI just somehow was able to get in there. And that money was able to, uh, to take the time off from his regular job uh, go to school and stuff like that. And then he was able to actually get to a better paying job. He couldn't, he couldn't do it because he had work. So having that cushion, you know, to taking the day off and just getting a suit and everything to get for a better job, he was able to do that. So it's a consideration that we should at least definitely, you know, consider, you know, take into employ. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, um, I feel like, again, we're in that place where, um, you know, as a country, society, and, you know, California is, again, kind of a bellwether state per se, but, um, you know, what Michael Tebbs has done is uh, created mayors for uh, universal basic income, Libby Schapp, and, and Oakland was one of the first mayors to sign on. Um, Mayor uh, Breed here in San Francisco used the UBI model to, to basically provide universal basic income for artists. Um, you know, uh, as well. So I can't remember how many, I think it was like, there's around 20 plus um, mayors across the country that are experimenting mm-hmm. with it. And then, um, you know, Michael Tubbs is uh, advising Newsom's, um, you know, uh, administration to try to do more of a universal basic income. So, yeah, I mean, it's, there's so much money above when you have 10 people that, you know, own 90% of everybody else's wealth. Sure. Ten pages, yeah. <laughs> right? Even if they just gave away half of it, right? I mean, you know. Yeah. So how much? How how many people would benefit? And and in macro, in the macro sense too, like if everybody is saving, right? Nobody will be there. Wouldn't there wouldn't be an economy if there wasn't? If people weren't spending, if everybody was just saving, the economy wouldn't work the way we have it now because we're in a consumer-based economy. So if people can't afford to spend, then businesses won't be able to flourish. And so then you have this, this kind of domino effect of just small businesses suffering because people can't have money to spend in the community, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and they showed that uh, the, that was part of why the economy really accelerated was because people were receiving these higher unemployment benefits to take care of themselves. They were saving it and people had more, you know, income stored uh, up, if you will. So they were, you know, but sadly they were set, they were spending it at Amazon uh, instead oh, yeah. of being able to spend it at their local store where it employed, you know, your neighbor again, or your neighbor mm-hmm. owned the business and they got to employ local people and, you know, all of the local tax benefits uh, and the economic benefits of having people in your community own businesses, work at local businesses, et cetera. Exactly. What's a, what's a question that you've had? Uh, just to stay on that, it's very, uh, very interesting. Why do you think that like people are more hesitant to 
support their own community instead of like instead of buying from like a well-known corporation right like you mentioned amazon like it's more easier to go on amazon and just buy something than like going down the street to a mom a pop and mom shop and just helping them out like what do you think that that like why is that a problem if, if it is a problem yeah well um i you know i think you know you have to hand it to to you know bezos and uh, amazon they created a one-click uh, economy or a one-click uh, society um, but then if you think through the whole one click right first it was he put bookstores and i have a, a longtime friend in stockton that owned a bookstore um, an independent bookstore he put independent bookstores you know kind of out of business because it became this massive warehouse so during the pandemic, it's become very easy to for the for the haves, people who can work at home, have funds, have broadband, have computer, et cetera, to one click away from having your groceries delivered by someone who, to your earlier point, works three jobs, right? Because they're mm-hmm. you know they're working for one of the delivery services, um, you know, to to deliver the food or to deliver the product to your front door, and then you don't you know all of that uh, all of that economic. Um, multiplier is not present in your community right instead of um you know if you want to keep and we we do this in our whole small business series as well but if if you want to keep the neighborhood getting back to your point about gentrification do you want the neighborhood to just be all uh, chain stores or do you want the neighborhood to be again your local neighbor who owns a a a flower store a grocery store a bookstore a restaurant Mm -hmm. etc if you want them to still be there you know when we get get to the other side and supposedly we're getting closer to the other side then you need to support them which means to to go out you know and there's um there's a great program called the Main Street Program um, that I worked uh, on uh, decades ago, but it just you know, had a multiplier effect of for every dollar that you spend in a local economy, you can get 16 to $32 back, depending on you know, what it is that you're spending it on. So you know, it, what's, what's more important to make Jeff Bezos more of a trillionaire instead of a billionaire, or is it more important to like support you know, your local, um, you know, uh, resident who's there, who put themselves at risk to start a business and has a passion and a dream uh, to support that because, you know, um, what's important to people is your neighborhood, right? Your local commercial corridor and, um, you know, houses that are close to walkable commercial corridors are worth more money. Why? Because people want to be able to walk out their door and go to their favorite copy you know, shop or go get a book or go have dinner or go see a comedian, you know, et cetera. So, you know, I, I did a, a series on economic development with my friend, Andrea Baker, who went on to start um, Bayview Bistro, which was like a, a little micro, you know, enterprise. She was um, helping incubate out food entrepreneurs right or what I what I um I've also you know her coined a hobbypreneur you know so um you know my friend uh Susan Mernet who's the ED over at Crucible uh, on that show we talk about her efforts to to uh, support you know makers someone who you know um might do everything from neon to jewelry to you know so, you know welding etc uh someone who's a maker becoming uh you know a uh, an entrepreneur and being able to take that making skill 
Um, I'm working on a show with two of my longtime friends, the Junk Girls, and we're trying to put it together in the springtime for a live show. But, you know, they they are upcyclers, right? They take what people would consider to be junk and make it into, you know, jewelry, um, furniture, uh, you know, et cetera, and uh, have a little retail store down in San Luis Obispo. And so, you know, I, I feel like the importance of, you know, economic development uh, it, it really, you know, getting back to your earlier point, you know, are we going to have a monoculture, right? Mm -hmm. And that monoculture of all the haves, you know, going to the same stores, providing money to the same, you know, uh, you know, uh, transnational corporations that own a chain store, right? With, you know, products made offshore, you know, et cetera. So, you know, it's uh, community community development has so many facets of it. You know, there's the housing component of it. There's the economic development component of it. There's the socioeconomic, you know, development of it as well. So I, I think, you know, back to the, you know, where opportunities coming out of this global pandemic is, you know, so many businesses have closed down. It'll be really be interesting to see, you know, how many, and at the same time, more businesses are starting up. I've been, trying to track uh, Yelp. I've tried to get folks from Yelp to come on the show. They won't do that, of course. Um, <laughs> but, but Yelp has, you know, massive amounts of data, right, from small businesses. And uh, I, I kind of track, you know, their, their dashboard of data. And one of the interesting trends towards the end of last year was people were doing more, you know, were starting up businesses. Of course, mm -hmm you know, Omicron hit. Um, so who knows what the impact that's been. But, uh, you know, if you take downtowns like downtown San Francisco, historically big financial district, et cetera, yeah. you know, if you've spent any time there over the pandemic, it's sadly somewhat like a ghost town. It started to come back, but, you know, so many of those small businesses were relying on people who were in the office uh, tower next to them to come out and have breakfast, yeah. lunch, dinner, et cetera, have their dry cleaning done, you know, whatever. And uh, those businesses just literally had to shut down because there's, you know, no one in the offices. Um, they're supposedly going to come back, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I mean, you know, Mark and Salesforce, you know, big uh, anchor in the city and uh, lots, you know, tens of thousands of employees, billions of dollars, uh, you know, and he's, he and his wife have been big supporters in San Francisco. So it'll be interesting to see how much of uh, what was, what looked like the economy will come back. And then will it also, will there also be an opportunity to support and enable people who have a dream to start up a business and to hire per, a person locally. Because uh, I, I think that's the other side of how we could conceivably, you know, reinvent ourselves, right? To to Fuego's point about, you know, um, you know, you know, and, uh, you know, this was part of our show on makers and Michelle from Energos Granola had a good point, you know, who do you want to survive coming out of the pandemic, Jeff Bezos or your local you know, food maker or your local grocery store or your local, you know, restaurateur, et cetera. And I think another thing that you, you made a great point of um, how, you know, we have this, I mean, we're very fortunate, right? We have all these technology jobs and for, for the people that are thriving, you know, who are in tech, you know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm glad that they have good paying jobs and stuff like that. But I guess it also, it also highlights something, right? Which is when you have, um, businesses relying on tech and something happens, the change happens, what happens to those businesses? 
um, I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of them closed down, right? So like all those businesses that were relying for the same tech company, the same tech, uh, sorry, same tech consumer to buy the coffee, do the dry cleaning, like you said, um, and now they all work from home. What happens to those companies? Um, maybe maybe it's a way for us to evolve. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. uh, just relying on one thing it doesn't seem to work out very well. And um, it, sadly, you know, we have the service economy that you were you know talking about in the consumer economy, yeah. and so much of the service economy jobs um, are you know they're they're not really paying a living wage, right? To your mm-hmm. earlier point, you know, you got to be an Uber driver, but then do DoorDash and then an Instacart, um, you know, et cetera. So you know, it's they're not really paying a living wage. Um, so you know. It, I'm hoping, uh, you know, the infrastructure bill, but, you know, the Build Back Better was a, a massive, you know, uh, program. And it'll be interesting to see what parts of it they're able to actually get out because there's so much of uh, what was in that uh, bill to actually, you know, help things like daycare, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you provide daycare that allows people to, to work, right, or to go to school, et cetera. So, um, and there was a big part of it to support community colleges because, you know, Joe, Joe, you know, his wife is a teacher at community colleges. And of course they had to say, we're going to have to cut that, which was really sad because, you know, community colleges need all the help they can get. Yeah. To, you know, there's such a, there's such a great bridge for people who are coming out of high school, not sure what they want to do, or people who were, you know, in their mid-career downsized out of their job, et cetera, or the business closed, um, you know, and then being able to get the skills to, to get back into the workforce. Do you have a question? Yeah, nice. Uh, no, I, we want to be respectful of your time, George. Yeah. Uh, so we might start segueing towards the end of this uh, episode. Um, do you want to ask your question or do you want to go? Go ahead and do rapid fire. Okay, yeah. so what we do on the podcast, we do a rapid fire question. There's just five random questions that I just shoot. <laughs> um, but yeah. They're so, a lot of fun, by the way. Yeah, so uh, we'll go into it. All right, George. So first question is, uh, what's your favorite color? Red. Uh, favorite number? Uh, nine. Oh, nice. Uh, favorite wrestler growing up? Favorite wrestler growing up? Wow. Um, like wrestler, like TV wrestler? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Uh, there was a crazy wrestler and his name was something George. And uh, I always thought he was, he had a really strange costume and hair. This was again, you know, dating myself back in the sixties when big time wrestling was first, you know, came onto TV, complete theatrics. I mean, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, favorite Bay Area spot. So a spot can be like a view. It can be a restaurant. Some your favorite Bay Area spot. Um, you know, I would say the the San Francisco Presidio. And if you haven't spent time in the Presidio, it's uh, it, it's one of my favorite spots to go to. It's uh, it's such an amazing success story. I mean, thanks to Nancy Pelosi, who's our congressperson, but really working if for anyone who's been around for a while, they were closing all the military bases in the 90s. And and it's an old military base. It's a base that goes back to 1776 when the Spanish had it. 
and there's parts of it that are that old. Um, but you know, they uh, they came up with this really unique model of creating uh, the Presidio Foundation, and then the foundation had to become self-sufficient within, I think it was like 10 years, and they've managed to do that. And then um, she's managed to bring more federal money to rebuild the whole entrance into the bridge. And then now back to uh, Mark and his wife at uh, Salesforce, they've actually put money into creating the uh, Tunnel Top Park, which is gonna be an amazing um, resource in San Francisco to connect the Presidio with Chrissy Field. And- Oh, wow, um, that's cool, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then restoring some of most people don't realize up on the ridge, there was all these guns, um, these cannons, huge cannons from World War Two. Uh, I mean, it goes back really to uh, the Civil War, but during World War Two, there was a big fear that Japan was going to bring submarines into the bay, etc. So there's these, uh, uh, you know, essentially barracks of uh of what used to be uh cement housing for these very massive guns so they're they've been working on restoring parts of those as well as part of the the hilltop so it, it's uh i go out there, i'm there about once a week and go on um on walks because you can go from chrissy fields up into a eucalyptus or redwood trees it's it's a it's you know in the middle of a city it's like this national park so not many places like it yeah, nice. so uh, and last question, uh, favorite Bay Area artist? So it could be musician, actor, whatever you like. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a really hard question. I, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say uh, artist organization. One of my favorite artist organizations, and I work with them, is the folks at City Arts and Lectures. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, Sydney Goldstein started it. Her daughter, Kate, um, and, uh, and Holly still manage it, along with Ali. And... Um, she had a vision of, uh, of, you know, taking over the old Norris auditorium, which was an old high school auditorium from the thirties on, um, on Franklin and Hay street. And she restarted and brought it back to life. And, um, we did our first show back there in, I think it was 2013, uh, Cheryl Sandberg, uh, was on book tour and that was the first show. But City Arts and Lectures is great because they, um, in the way before times, they were able to do, and they've been trying to bring it back live uh, discussion. So one of the discussions most recently was, you know, uh, Hannah Nicole and her, you know, 19, 16, 19 project was there. So they, they have, you know, artists, they have authors, you know, thought leaders, et cetera, come and talk and answer questions. And the audience has an opportunity to, uh, to engage so that's just city arts, but then they brought the theater back. So, you know, there's, um, you know, you speak done shows there. I mean, it's just, you know, it's an, it's a, if the, if the San Francisco Unified School District didn't own the theater, it would have been knocked down for condos or something horrible, but it's an old 1930s era theater. Um, the San Francisco Gay Men's Course just did their annual Christmas show last year that I worked. So, um, it's just, you know, it's a great small little organization um, started by a woman with the idea of hosting live lectures to the community and getting the community engaged and having those conversations. And that's become a platform for so many folks. Wow. Yeah, yeah those are all my rapid fire questions. And then I just have one last question before we let you go. Um, what does the Bay Area mean to you? Um, you know, I'm going to segue back to our, you know, your your question whether or not the Bay, the Bay Area, you know, will become something that we can't really recognize. I mean, you know, 
I, I feel like what's the most unique part about the San Francisco Bay Area has been um, that folks from all over the world can come here and um, and find themselves, reinvent themselves. Um, you know, it's a it's a place where, you know, technology, biotech, um, I mean, you know, uh, back to the LGBTQ, you know, community, uh, you know, Harvey Milk started the whole movement uh, in San Francisco. So, you know, it's, it's a unique place that um, to your earlier point, I just, I, um, I, I worry that it gets priced out of the ability for folks, you know, from all over the world to come here or for someone who's just getting a start, right? You know, um, coming to the Bay Area and finding their way and being able to contribute to what's been, the, you know, a really unique, creative, open, uh, progressive fabric, if you will. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that coming out of the pandemic, there's the opportunity for, you know, people to do more startups and business. And frankly, I think, you know, from an environmental piece, I, I feel like we, you know, we're on the verge of kind of, you know, this 1200 year drought could be an opportunity to figure out how to, you know, recycle all of our water, do desalination in a way that doesn't use massive amounts of you know, electricity and power and reinvent how we use water. Um, and, you know, I think San Francisco could be, uh, you know, the epicenter of that as well. That's crazy. Yeah, that's wow. amazing. Um, no, I think, I think we're, yeah. Yeah. All right, George. Well, thank you for well, the time. So same question for you guys. Where where do you want to see um, your work, your podcasts, uh, you know, go? Where where would you guys like to to take it? I mean, you're thinking about maybe hosting some like you know public um, you know community events where you can invite folks in to talk about topics. I mean, mm -hmm. I like the fact that you're considering you know um, you know to do something in in Concord in your own hometown. I mean. Maybe there's an opportunity to work with, you know, an, you know, a nonprofit or a theater or uh, et cetera, or the city and nonprofits in the area to host, you know, kind of community-wide conversations. Yeah, no, that'd be, yeah, yeah, that's, that, right. that's like actually a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we haven't yeah. never read that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think Concord could really use that, right? I mean, you, you yeah, know, you know, because it sounds like you're what you're really trying to do is facilitate, you know, facilitate the stories of your friends, but also uh, facilitate the story of your community. And yeah. um, you know, Concord uh, needs you know, um, you know, local residents um, there to to help step up and you know tell the story. Maybe the library becomes your partner. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great idea. Uh, thank you, George. That's a great idea. Yeah. It, once we get that going, we'll definitely send you an email. Yeah, because it's a really good idea. Nah, thank you. Uh, yeah. Mm. But yeah, George, uh, I, on that note, we appreciate your time. Thank you for yeah. coming by. Thank you for giving us your time. And let tell people where they can find you, how they can, uh, your email, website, everything. Yeah. Sure. So uh, Voices of the Community, you can find it on georgecoster.com. And then just click on Voices of the Community. You'll see the series. There's the Stockton documentary. There's the COVID-19 series. And then there's archives shows. Which I've mentioned some of those. Um, and um, you can find me on all of the usual you know, uh, spots, Apple, Spotify, um, although I've thought about taking it off Spotify given the Joe Rogan um, issue. Um, 
<laughs> and then uh, if you have story ideas, folks to interview or thoughts, et cetera, or feedback at shows, just, you know, you can send me an email, george at georgecoster.com and uh, love to hear from folks. And then when you guys get this published, right, get it ready, please let me know. So that way I can promote it, you know, on social media and promote it in my next uh, e-newsletter as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. And, right. you know, share your shows whenever you, you know, guys do a, do another show, uh, et cetera. Yeah thank, yeah. thank you for coming on. We really did appreciate your time and effort. And, you know, time is the, pre is the most precious commodity. So we just want to say thank you again and uh, just take time off your day to be with us. Have a cool conversation. Yeah. Thank well, you. it's good because it's time away from editing the next show. So yeah. <laughs> any excuse to not spend many, many hours editing, right? You know, hey, whatever works for you, man. we'll right, take right. it. <laughs> exactly. I figured you. I figured you guys could relate to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> We've had our conversations too. You know? Right, right. Exactly. You're thinking to yourself, "Oh my God, how are we going to edit this down?" So it's only an hour long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thank you both for having me on the show again. Send me the information, and sure. um, you know, it, uh, I was going to say if you're at all interested in um, in reaching out to uh, you know, think about in terms of putting together your uh, a radio show component of it. Um, mm -hmm. It's 29 minutes and 30 seconds for a radio show, or just your podcast. Let me know. I'll introduce you to Mel Baker, who's the station programmer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, at KSFP. And uh, he's put together a little program where he's feeling programming with podcast. So, uh, you know, uh, as you as you finish stuff or things that you've just finished, if you want to send me links to it, I'll make an introduction to Mel and you guys can take it from there. Oh, yeah, man. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, we're trying, you know, the whole goal of, of creating KSFP was to create, there's not many opportunities you get when you can, you know, create a terrestrial radio station, even though it's a lot, it's a, it's an LP FM, low powered FM station. Um, and then we can't compete with KQEDs of the world. No one can actually. Um, and, you know, but, but not many folks have an opportunity to be on terrestrial radio. Terrestrial radio has become corporatized, right? So mm -hmm. this is a small grassroots community you know, radio station um, really working to feature voices from the unheard folks, folks who just aren't going to get a chance to be on, you know, KGO or, you know, KMBR and all the, all of the, the corporate media that's out there. So that, that's yeah. much appreciated. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. Follow up. All right. Copy that. Thank you again. See right. ya. Thank Bye. You. Take care. Have a good week. Likewise. Bye. Bye.